Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 8 as we continue through our series in the book of Galatians. Jesus warned us not to live for bread alone and not to live for the food that perishes, but to draw life from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, including this letter, this book, the book of Galatians, starting in verse 8. The Apostle Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the, of the world, whose slaves you want to become once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I, have may, I have, may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed by you. Please join me in prayer. Our God and Father, Lord, as we consider the weight of Paul's words, Father, which are your inspired words delivered to the Galatian church so many years ago, we consider ourselves in light of these words. Father, where indeed is our blessedness? Where is our hope? Where is our confidence? Father, send your spirit to search our hearts even now so that we would be tried and tested and our faith would be in Christ and him alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've heard of the saying, the phrase, a one and done, one and done, right? Something that you do it once and you don't have to do it anymore. You're, you're done with it, one and done. There's a, a number of ways this is permeated, right, into our culture. There's the, the one and done workout. You can spend seven minutes of your day and it's a fitness routine for people that they simply have so many demands and such a busy schedule that all they can have is seven minutes to dedicate to physical fitness. And it makes a difference for some people, right? There's something called one and done parenting. Uh, it's people that decide because of all of the trials, all of the stresses of parenting, they're just gonna have one child 
and one child only, and one and done. They're finished, right? So you can think about this mindset and how it, it works its way into many, many areas of life. It, it is possible that a seven-minute workout could benefit my overall health and make a difference for me, and there might be good reasons to simply have one child. But every choice has a motivation behind it. Every choice has something that's driving it, has a why behind it. Deep down, we must always beware. We have this internal thirst, this internal drive to live life on our own terms. Deep down, we identify with Frank Sinatra as well as Burger King. We want it our way. It is part of our internal nature. Even for the Christian, you have a sinful nature that is at war with the Spirit of God that is in you. And so to live life on my own terms is fundamentally a very dangerous proposition. If my pursuit of one and done is so that I could spend my seven minutes doing something healthy so that the other 1,433 minutes I do whatever I want, fundamentally I am living a life that's going to fail. This is not going to succeed. And that seven minutes is not going to make a difference. If I have seven minutes that I'm spending in the scriptures, in prayer, but then the rest of my day is spent living for my own desires, I am in a collision course with the Lord God himself. So if you're not a Christian, right, keep doing what you're doing. And, and when it stops working for you, come see me, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. Right? But if you are a Christian, you are absolutely on a collision course. You're on a collision course. You cannot live as if you are Lord and it go well with you because the Lord will not let you live in peace. Discipleship, Christianity, is never a one and done. There's no shortcut, in fact, to any relationship at all, especially one with the Lord. And in tonight's passage, Paul is illustrating this point for us by using three points. First, he's going to express his concern. And really, the whole of Galatians it is very weighty. Paul's concern is, is spread throughout the whole letter, but we see it really up close in this section. And Paul makes a case for his concern for the Galatian church, and then he gives a challenge to the Galatians. So first, let's look at the urgency, the directness of the Apostle Paul. He's greatly concerned about the Galatian Christians, greatly, because these are people that have embraced the gospel by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he's seen fruit in their lives. They've responded with the obedience of faith. And now what they're doing is being distracted by worldly things. They're turning away from grace and turning to the law, turning to their own worldly means in order to live a life pleasing to God which is impossible, and Paul calls this spiritual slavery. It is slavery. 
So this letter is answering at least two different questions. It's, it's answering the question, can a disciple of Christ live like an unbeliever? And the answer is yes, they absolutely can live like an unbeliever, but they'll lack contentment and they will lack joy. They will be very sad people and they'll also make people around them very sad as well. And then, as we've already mentioned, is Christianity a one and done? The answer is no, absolutely not. If I think I can walk the aisle, pray the prayer, and I'm good to go, I am sadly mistaken. See, Paul's concern really is throughout this whole section of chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. You can hear his disappointment. You can hear the heartache of Paul. And he expresses it through two very dire statements, but then he asks three questions. Right? The, the, these dire statements come at the very end of the letter where he says, I am perplexed with you, Galatians. I'm at a loss to understand. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? And then in verse 11, he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I may have labored over you. He even gives an illustration of being in labor until Christ is formed in the Galatians. And he says, this may have been in vain because you're, you're going in the wrong direction. But rather than wring his hands, rather than lose hope, Paul rebukes the Galatians. He expresses blame to their face, directly to them, in the sense, in this letter. And he does so by asking three questions. In verse 9, he says, how can you turn back to spiritual slavery? How can you do that? Verse 15, he says, what then has become of your blessedness? Where is your happiness? Where is your joy? And then in verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth. Paul engages with them directly. He has a personal stake. He's invested in their lives, and he's not about to let them go without a fight. He is committed to their well-being, and he's willing to risk perhaps even a relationship with them because they don't have to take this well. They could turn and do what they want, but Paul's willing to fight for their lives, their spiritual lives. Paul then questions. Uh, he, he provides the basis for the questions, and it reveals the concern that he has. Right? He, he's contrasting, really through the letter, freedom and slavery. Freedom in Christ and slavery to the world. And there's no in-between. Freedom he mentions back in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, false brothers were secretly brought in and they have spied out your freedom, he says to the Galatians, the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us back into slavery. And then he mentions, uh, and so he touches on this in verse 8. Right, reading verse 8, formally, he says, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature 
are not God. So this is the default position. Before you knew God, Galatians, you were enslaved to the things that by nature are not God's. This, this is expected. This is, the whole world should live like this. We shouldn't be surprised. But for those that have come to know God, he says, how can you turn back to these weak and worthless elemental principles of the world? Back in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul is affirming the gospel plus anything is no gospel at all. He makes it very clear. The path of freedom is blessing, it is life, and it is freedom. The path of slavery is a curse, it is death. It is also the broad way. It is the way that you'll find the majority of the world moving. The, the way of blessing is the narrow way, the tighter way, the constrained way. But Paul is concerned. He says, why are you living as a slave? Noah Webster said, a slave is one who has lost the power of resistance. He's lost the power of resistance. Rather than having a true sense of sin, and apprehending God's mercy in Christ, the Galatians Christians are adding worldly principles. They're adding circumcision. They're adding the observance of days and weeks and months and trying to add something in order to gain the esteem of other people. But they're losing the gospel. They're losing Christ. And so Paul's case, the case that he makes he says, now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, he's pleading, as he's pleading with the Galatians, he's also making a defense for the gospel itself. It's not simply that you know God, but God has known you from the foundation of the world. He has known you, he has set you apart, and by his divine appointment, Christ's death, Life and death and resurrection are applied to you by the Holy Spirit so that you can have freedom. You can have life. To be known by God is the only source of true happiness that anyone can ever have. So like a good doctor, Paul diagnoses the spiritual illness so he can then treat the condition. These questions are probing questions so that the Galatians can know the source of their problem but also the source of their hope. Back in, I think it was April, Pastor Skip gave an illustration. He preached about how our anxious feelings, our anxieties, our distresses, these feelings are similar to a warning light in your car on the dashboard, right? The check engine light comes on, and some of you like to just ignore that light and hope it goes away and so the car doesn't run anymore, and then you give somebody a phone call, and you're trying to get your way out of whatever problem you're in. But that check engine light is the warning to say, do something now so you avoid a greater problem later. Well, the, Paul, or Pastor Skip told us that these anxious feelings that start welling up, the distress, the anxiety, the concerns, this is like a check prayer light. This is a check prayer light. This is a light that's telling you 
Take your cares, take your problems, take these things to the Lord, take them in prayer, trusting the promises of God, thinking according to the word of God, and remembering that my heavenly Father invites me to bring all of my burdens, all my cares to him because he cares for me. And I know that he'll fully supply all of my needs. He'll meet me right where I am. So anxious feelings, check prayer light. Lack of blessedness, check faith light. So the Galatians in verse 15, Paul asked them, what then? What then has become of your blessedness? In other words, that you would pursue adding these things to the gospel. You must have lost your your blessedness. You must have lost that loving feeling, Galatians. What are you pursuing? So if the anxious, again, anxious feelings, check prayer light, lack of blessedness, check faith light. Where is your faith? A blessedness is is more than just a happy, contented feeling. It's a condition of being enviable. You look at that person and you see the contentment they have, the happiness they have, the confidence they have. It is an enviable position to be blessed by God. Your source of blessing is revealed by seeing where are you putting your energy, your efforts, your time, your attention, As Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But what is Paul diagnosing in verse 9? He's saying, you are turning back again. In other words, before you knew Christ, before the Lord knew you, you're turning back again to worthless and weak elementary principles of the world. Weak to be without strength, to be unable and insufficient, worthless. It's it's used of one who is crouching, who is cowering, who is begging, who's afraid to ask, living life as as a beggar or a slave. But the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So rather than begging for the approval of the world, rather than looking to be made much of, as Paul says, by these who have spied out to steal the freedom of the Galatian church, what about one who begs for the approval of God? The Lord Jesus said, blessed are the spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, they shall find the comfort that only God can give. The word poor, as in blessed are the poor in spirit, is the same word that's translated worthless, weak and worthless elementary principles. This is how the prophet Isaiah may have felt in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God. Exposed such that he he cries out, woe is me, but knowing that God's grace is a free gift. He cannot earn it or deserve it. We agree with King David as he says in Psalm 32, blessed, blessed, envied is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
no deceit. There's no need to hide before a holy God. In fact, he invites you to be undone in his presence so that he will remake you. He will rebuild you. One author said it like this, I pretend nothing with you, O Lord. There is no need to hide behind any facade. I can be exposed completely in the light of God, trusting in Christ, his provision, his righteousness. So Paul continues with a challenge to the Galatians. In verse 12, he says this, Brothers, he's calling them brothers. He's treating them as those who have received the gospel, who know the Lord Jesus Christ, yet they're living in a contrary manner. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. I entreat you, become as I am. Verse 12, and then verse 19, he continues the challenge. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I'm not letting you go, Galatians. I'm committed to your well-being. He is holding those who are in the household of faith to the expectations of how they should live according to that faith. The family of God has a code. That code is the Ten Commandments. And it's summed up, as Jesus expressed, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul says, I am committed to you. I am committed to see Christ formed in you as if I were in childbirth. I am giving my very all. Martin Lloyd-Jones noted that Paul was not merely concerned with the health, the spiritual health of the Galatians, but because revival starts in the church, he said when the church is healthy, invariably she has an impact upon the world. How can the gospel go forth unless the church is healthy, unless we are living according to the word of God? And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, God preached the gospel to Abraham, saying this, and this is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, in you all the nations shall be blessed. This was the preaching of the gospel, the blessing of the nations, but how can the nations be blessed if the church is not healthy? Paul says, I saw progress in your life. You ran well, he goes on to say in chapter 5, but you, you're coming up short. You're falling short. He even reflects on his time with them. He had a bodily ailment. Lots of speculation on what that bodily ailment was, but he says they were willing to help him to the degree of even gouging out their eyes, if that would be something to help him. They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to make a sacrifice for the sake of Paul. 
Now Paul is calling them to return, to return to living in the obedience of faith. Paul's invitation, which is repeated over a dozen times in, in his different epistles, is to follow me as I follow Christ. Paul is going with all his might after Christ, and he invites all that he's discipling to follow me in the same manner. Paul's invitation is lived out through his own life, his example. And it's not Paul's idea, however. It's Christ's idea. It is a Christian principle. Positively, Jesus says, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Negatively, he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Right? Think about how do you disciple yourself? How do you disciple others? There is a cost involved. Christ has paid for your salvation, but there is a cost of your life because sin cannot abide in the presence of a holy God, in the presence of the Spirit of God who is in you. And so the Holy Spirit has come to bring judgment into the world and also to bring judgment into our own sinful nature so that it works its way out of us so how I disciple myself is going to be how I disciple others. Paul is demonstrating this is how it looks. We hold people to the same standard that the Lord is holding us, and we are following Christ. We're not making disciples of our own. We're discipling them for Christ, for the glory of God. And so he says, become as I am in verse 12, for I also have become as you are. This is the essence of discipleship. Paul is demonstrating that it came at great cost. And you're familiar with the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Discipleship is not a one and done. Christianity is not a one and done except in one particularly noteworthy case. And that is clear in Paul's opening statement to the church in Galatia. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Not that, to, not that we should continue in this present evil age, but to deliver us from it according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. You see, the Son humbled himself in obedience to his heavenly Father. And he's been given the name which is above every name. The shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep has taken it back up by the good pleasure of his Father and as proof of God's love of his only begotten Son. And in fact, this letter begins in the very first verse of Galatians. Paul says, I am an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 
Discipleship is not a one and done, not for me and not for each of you. And as we are discipling others, are we following the Apostle Paul's standard? Are we saying, follow me as I follow Christ? Are we holding that out? Consider, where is your faith? Where is your blessedness? It's only in Christ alone. Let's pray. Our God and Father, Lord, thank you for your kindness, your mercy. Oh, Lord, forgive us when we add to the gospel, when we add our own traditions, we add our own good ideas, and we neglect the grace, the mercy. We neglect the gospel that you've given so clearly through the pages of your word. Father, help us to feed on this word that we might grow spiritually strong, that we might also help others to grow strong so that the church would rise up, that we would see true revival beginning with the house of God and spilling out to the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.